Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the TalkHouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got one of those chats that feels like it's going to lead to something bigger down the road. Jonathan Davis and Danny Brown. Now, neither of these guys probably needs an introduction, but here goes anyway. Jonathan Davis is the frontman of the band Korn, which basically invented a sound and subsequent genre about 30 years ago. Now, I'm not sure if people still say new metal, but whatever you want to call it, it never really seemed to leave the cultural zeitgeist once it took hold. Korn always seemed to have a wider variety of influences than some of their peers, though, taking bits and pieces from goth, metal, and hip-hop to make a strange new brew. They've released an impressive 14 albums over the years, taking stylistic turns like 2011's The Path of Totality, which incorporated dubstep and drum and bass elements. The band's latest is Requiem, which was written and recorded during COVID's enforced ban on touring. It's a bit of a return to their classic sound, and it's gotten incredibly positive reviews from fans and critics. Check out a little bit of the album's closing track. Worst is on its way. Danny Brown is a rapper and more recently a comedian who broke out of his hometown of Detroit around 2010 and has released a series of groundbreaking, incredible records that never seem to sit still, just like him. He's had huge singles and collaborated with everybody from Eminem to Purity Ring to Kendrick Lamar to ASAP Rocky. And though he hasn't put out a proper album since 2019's killer You Know What I'm Saying, Brown has kept busy making music, making his stand-up comedy debut, doing the hilarious Danny Brown show on YouTube, and allegedly prepping a new record with the working title Quaranta. He's described the record as, quote, all over the place, which makes sense considering Brown's varied list of influences, one of which is corn, which is how we got here in the first place. The genesis of this conversation, Davis and Brown's first, was Brown covering Korn's classic Freak on a Leash live in concert last year. Check out a little bit of Brown's Negro Spiritual, which features JPEG Mafia. This is from his last album. You know what I'm saying. I'm on board like Tiger with two white frogs or three Xanax, drunk driving in a rental car. About to hit him with my best shot like Pat Benatar. One got big tits, one got ass like Sensor. I've been hard, Mixiana's wet black girl. We've been on, skiing butter ain't winter. You ain't know how fluff like Santa Pau. I'm so cow. Plus it's slippery like a winter road, just like loud. Yeah, he did like winter clothes. Here we go. Birds on me like scarecrow. I don't know. Told you, you was special. Oh, oh, oh. As I said before, this is the first real conversation that Brown and Davis have ever had, and they get along great. Great enough that they're instantly talking about meeting up in person to collaborate at Davis's Bakersfield, California studio. They get into Korn's songwriting process, COVID-inspired depression, and how the internet provides the kind of instant rejection you had to work harder for in the old days. It's a great chat. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, man. <laughs> I actually met you once before. I mean, I know you probably don't remember, but it was on um, Holy Ship. When I played Holy Ship? Yeah. That was awesome, man. That was so fucking fun. Oh, my God. I know. I haven't been back since, but that was like a, such a... That was not my world, and I loved hanging out in a totally foreign place to me. The whole dancing and when I was DJing and doing all that was so fun. It was just because it was such a break from where the scene that I usually hang out in. So it was really cool. So what made you want to get into that scene in general? Like just being a fan of the music? I mean, I loved EDM music. I started like 
before I was in a rock band or any of that stuff, I DJed. Oh, okay. I started DJing in 86, 87 oh, um, in my hometown of Bakersfield. And there was uh, a club there called Vidal's. And these two kids named Eric and Nick Vidal, which went on to become the Baker Boys that hosted Power 106 in Los Angeles. And another guy named Chalk. We all got together. We would just sit there and play with turntables and battle each other and do all this stuff. So it really sparked my passion early on. I didn't listen to rock at all at that time. So that's why I really loved that music. And then when I started, I wanted to start DJing again. I kind of started doing it again. And was I was spinning more old school stuff because I was really into New York freestyle music, like Stevie B and Company B and all the stuff they play at roller rinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I started getting more of the uh, more current stuff. And that kind of spawned us doing that dubstep record, um, the Path of Totality, because I hooked up with some friends and we just started jamming together. And it just spawned and went off and became something that was really cool. My dad used to, you know, DJ house music and stuff. So I always just grew up with it around me. Kind I didn't even know it was like, you know, in Detroit, we used to have like um, a radio station, a guy named Mojo. And he would play like all type of like, you know, Model 500 and then turn around and play the Bee Gees or something like that. So it was like a, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that I had like a, a, a vast like musical genre taste. Like you get what I'm saying? I thought everybody listened to that shit. I didn't know that every city you go to, they had their own style of like party music. Cause when we would go to clubs and stuff, no matter what song it was, it could be a top 40 radio hit. They'll speed it up to 140 BPMs. Yeah. You know saying? Mm-hmm. It's like Stevie Wonder, Eyes Don't Cry No More. I used to hear that song fucking... I, when I I just heard that recently at his normal speed, it was like, damn, this song's slow as hell. Right? Because <laughs> I'm used to hearing it so fast, you know? Wow. That's really cool. So I was just always into electronic music. I'm Now I'm more back into, you know, getting more back into it. I never really went to like a jungle drum and bass phase. So I think I'm going through that right now. Jungle is so good. I love it. See, for me, like UK music in general, it started for me with just grind music. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously coming from the hip hop side. So more and more, I just, you know, started to do my homework on it and got into like garage music, garage music, whatever the fuck you call it. Yeah, whatever the fuck you Stuff like that. And now I just got deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. So now I'm listening to fucking, you know, drum and bass, um, BBC One mixtapes from 96 and shit. And it's fucking amazing. They're so amazing. I love those breakbeats, man. I love those. I'm just so happy that we got something like YouTube where all this stuff is documented. It's easily available. Yeah. Right? Because even for me, like in the 90s, we had like DJ assault mixtapes which is like ghetto tech and like i wouldn't have had no other type of way for me able to get those again you know what i'm saying but they're all over youtube now you know what i'm saying totally oh it's not like when i was growing up it's kid we have shit you have to go to the record store yeah exactly <laughs> exactly i've been um going on youtube because i've been starting back making beats and stuff so i've been going like on ebay and just been buying like bulks of tapes like you can buy these like cassette tape lots for like people like sell you like a 50 tapes for like 100 like you don't never know what the tapes would be so that's almost like a fun thing for me too and I've just been sampling from tape. So it's been kind of cool. I don't know how sustainable that is because my finger is already starting to hurt from rewinding and fast forward so much. Yeah. I get, I get why we use vinyl now to sample. It's easier to just get to the spot you want to. Yeah, uh, it's totally. Cool. That's rad. I never thought about even sampling from tapes. I mean, it's just got a warm sound. Like even I do like, because even like if I do my drums and in, in, in like a software, like I put my drums in the software, but I'll still record it to a four track tape and then sample it back into because it just sounds way warmer and better that way. Because like, most of the shit just sound, it sounds like it's coming from a computer, you know? Yeah. Like, like I want it to sound like it's coming from a record, you know, or it's coming from a tape. I want it to sound a little muddy and, you know, a little distorted. I don't want it to sound too clean and, 
It sounds almost like AI. <laughs> it does. I mean, I love that. It's like with stuff we record now. I don't record anything. First thing I hit it with is is tape because analog is far superior. It's a lot warmer. And I just like the whole concept of analog, period, because I've always said it's like you hit a guitar, I sing into a mic, it turns into electricity and that travels through the cables and it goes through the board and then it hits this tape through this magnet and there's this energy there and it's a lot warmer. But when you do it on a, a computer, it gets converted to ones and zeros. <laughs> I think it's best when you when you hit it first with tape, then you capture that magic. With all these plugins and stuff, it's just making everything more. I guess it's actually an AI mixer now. Like it's a oh. plugin where you can just put it into your track and it'll mix it for you. I mean, it, it's it's ass. Don't get me wrong. It's terrible. But it'll get you halfway there. You know it'll what I'm get saying? You right there. Yeah, yeah it, it, it'll gain stage for you. That's good enough. You know what I'm saying? Just being able to gain yeah. stage of tracks and stuff. Because, you know, that'll take a minute if you're Absolutely. just doing it manually. Like, I don't think... AI technology will be able to, you know, capture what a human can do when it comes to music. Like, because you need ears. I mean, I don't know. Like you say, oh, that shit is just numbers and stuff. But you really need to just hear it. There's something about digital and all that that it kind of dehumanized. I like to hear all the inconsistencies. And I will say they they, they are making it easier for anybody that want to get into music. Because I know me coming up, buying a drum machine, I couldn't afford it, you know, and now you can get you can get one on your phone that can do pretty much everything as a free everything. app, you know? So totally. it's like, I do love that aspect of it because it's like, you know, like being good at music is one thing, but being able to have all, cause I remember just recording on a full track and like a Dr. Rhythm sampler. And I always be like, if I could just get an MPC, I know I can get better beats. I know my music will sound so much better, but I couldn't afford $1,500 at the time to buy a drum machine, you know? Those machines sucks. In the drum machine, I started on was a drummer later. <laughs> <laughs> You had four buttons, homie. Four. And now the <laughs> fucked up part is like all those old drum machines that I, I, I had, like the $300 drum machines, they're going for like $1,500, $2,000 now. Because they, you know, yeah. like people want those old, like they say, they want that warm from those because all these, most of these drum machines you buy now, they have a software that go to them. Most, they're not standalone machines that you can just no. make music with. You need to use the software with it. So those yes. were just like standalone machines. I still love the SP303s and 404s and stuff. I still use those. Those are nice. It was just easier to loop and their effects, like comparing it to like other drum machine effects and stuff. It's just, I don't know. It just sounds way cooler. Sample depth and just like really, there's just this great, it's like the SP-1200. Yeah, if you add too many effects, it just starts sounding crunchy. Crunchy <laughs> weird. It just sound all fucked up. But like you say, I got, it gives it personality at least, you know? Yeah, it gives it personality for sure. I love that. And that's the crazy part about it that um, like even now, like a lot of, Music like how lo-fi is becoming like a, a a cool thing, you know. Like your music shouldn't sound like I. That's the crazy part that now it's so easy to make your music sound good. Where before, like like I said, I was recording on the four track, and I wish I would have had Pro Tools. Be able, I could you know clean my vocals up and stuff like that. Now you have all these plugins that you can clean your vocals up and make stuff sound so cool and easy in your bedroom. And everybody now want to make it sound all dirty and fucked up. And fucked up, right? <laughs> that's how it goes. <laughs> that's just the way of the world i guess you know it is and i don't understand it oh <laughs> my shit sound good Fuck no that. one's never satisfied that's what i understand about it you give them all the tools 
that's why I like some some like like I like the 404. I, I love that because you kind of had to listen. You kind of had to have some like because you don't have like, you know, some people just all they, they need to see those waves on their screen. Mm-hmm. They can't see those waves and they can't do shit. And with the 404, you can't see the waves. You have to actually listen to loop. You have to. You know what I'm saying? I think that yeah. alone right there, it helps you because it because it hinders you in some way. But just that alone, it, it ups your creativity. You know, hey, when Pro Tools came in, I hated that you stopped listening with your ears. You just looked at the screen. When you want to go play that back, everyone turns to the fucking computer screen. <laughs> Why do you need to look at that? Just listen with your ears. Because I'd be like, I, like you'll work with an engineer and he already started adding plugins before you even did anything. I, fucking, <laughs> you ain't even heard it yet. Uh, last record, I did some shit. I'm like, why are you at? What? What? what stop. <laughs> I see him just going, all these plugins. I'm all, motherfucker, stop. Take all those off. Now turn to your fucking left. There's the real fucking compressor. There's the real EQ. Use the real shit. What the fuck are you doing? They're just all set in their way. Those engineers like that have done that and worked in the box their whole life. It's just easier for them to do that. But I'm a big fan of just having the real stuff. Yeah. Totally, man. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Hey, TalkHouse listeners, it's Josh Modell. Instead of encouraging you to listen to podcasts today, I'm here to encourage you to read something great. The particular something I have in mind is the second issue of the TalkHouse Reader, the print zine spearheaded by our fantastic music editor, Annie Fell. This issue is focused on the intersection of food and music, and it features contributions from Maddie Matheson, Coleman Domingo, Squirrel Flower, Sam Evian, the Blessed Madonna, and more. There are pieces about eating while on tour, the gentrification of food, cooking as a creative catalyst, and much, much more. You can order a copy today, along with the first issue, at store.talkhouse.com. Please do check it out. Like I say, I've always been a huge fan of you and um, been influencing you guys for such a long time, and I just always wonder, like... As far as like the um the song process, is it usually like you write in the lyrics first or like are y'all no. tracks and then you go back and then you write to them and shit? First couple of records we did all together in the room. And 
I started humming melody lines then and then got to the studio, recorded the tracks, and then I, I would write my lyrics and then do it. But it, it just depends on what record, because we've done 14 <laughs> records. <laughs> yeah. so that was the early one. And then we've done it where we all, we'd write a song, I'd write a song, bring it in, or stuff like that that were just a little bit different and would work like that. But the last couple of records, we just get in a room and we write 15 songs. Mm-hmm. There's no vocal melodies. There's nothing. We'll pick the songs that I, I'll know I have a vibe to. I'll write a melody line to. If we think that's, we agree that's cool, then they record those. And I don't start really getting into the real creative process like that until the track is completely done because I need to hear it finished. Yeah. I can know where to place my vocals, what I need to do. And that's how it's always worked that way. So we'll write a song. If I like it, we'll do a melody line. Band is like, oh, that's dope as fuck. Let's, let's do it. So then they will record everything. And then after we pick whatever 15 songs like that and record them all, then I start my process. I'll come in in the morning. Whenever I wake up, I'll go in the studio. I'll go in there and I'll write the lyrics. And then I sing the entire song. I'll do a song a day. And then that's at the, the very end. I have to do all the backing vocals, all the crazy harmonies, because I sit there for hours, bro. Yeah. I have like five different microphones lined up and I don't double a vocal line on one, the same mic one. I only do oh, one. Shit. It's like painting with painting with the audio. That's crazy. <laughs> it's like, it's my way how I do it. And then I'll do four part harmonies and then I got to triple them on four different mics. So it's, it's kind of time consuming, tedious, but when it's done, it sounds amazing. That's dope. Yeah. That's like you, you making your own choir type shit. Totally. <laughs> I mean, listen to the latest song, like the latest album. Most songs, there's 18 to 20 vocal tracks. I would just think it's stacking, but damn, that's genius. No, we don't. I don't. I mean, we could stack like normal, but I'm like, I got to do this right. It's like, okay, if you record, record guitars, you have the guitar mains, what you do, and then you do the doubles, but they can't be on the same amps. You want a different kind of tone, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I took that to heart when I was doing vocals. I'm like, why the hell would I sing in the same microphone to double it? I want to do what like guitars do. So if I do triples or quads, I do and four different mics and Damn. it just mix, mix match them. And it really opens up and it gets really nice and thick. And I don't know. It just, that's my thing. <laughs> no, that's some, that's some next level shit, man. <laughs> right, man. That's some shit you do when you've been doing it a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you could, when I think about it, I mean, you, you would have to do that analog, right? No, I do it all on tape. Yes. And then, you know, I wait, I don't use auto tune because that's, I mean, barely sometimes but the majority of the time i'm i want to get the the performance and i can sing so yeah, i don't need yeah, that that's just being lazy definitely you know and then you didn't use it wasn't like you were using it in the early albums either so i'm like no there was no fucking auto tune back yeah, then. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah it's already proven like it's a done deal yeah but i said it's fun to play uh, with though i will say that I, oh I no like for like long ago. <laughs> when they put they put the auto tune all the way up that's cool it sounds <laughs> cool it is fun to play with. It's fun to play with, but for what I do, that's not cool. And I like the little inconsistencies. I like hearing me hit a note that's kind of out of, I'm in key, but kind of out. Mm-hmm. It just gives it character. Yeah, that's the personality of it. Like sometimes with me, when I make certain songs or something, if I get it like a, a, a good take that I really like, but I might have fucked up a word or something, I will, I will just keep that take. I'll say, fuck it, man. Yeah. <laughs> like instead of like re recording a whole nother take where I'm trying to get this one word extra perfect. And because I know that me trying so hard to concentrate on getting that one word right, everything else going to fall down, you know? Exactly. So I would just get the energy of the take than the actual words, you know? Yeah. The emotion. Because I think that transfers more so than the actual lyrics, you know? Because you can be saying that crazy shit in the world, but if a person don't believe you or feel it, 
feel it wise, then what it doesn't even matter, you know? Doesn't matter. No, it's all about that the performance. Mm-hmm. It's fine line, man. It'll take the emotion over the per, the perfection of it. And that's for like producing rock bands and stuff. There's that fine line and it's a bitch. Like, what do you choose? <laughs> Might be different for everybody, but I feel like when you get like a, um, you know, like a writer's block of certain situations, like, you know, when you got a group kind of like situation like that, everybody like just something could inspire something, you know? Whereas just me like writing the beats is like, sometimes it's like, man, I can listen to a thousand beats and it's like, ah, oh, man, it's over, man. I can't, I'm, I'm dead right now. You know, there's nothing I can come up with. But I feel like if I had like, you know, like a a, a room, like, cause I did that with like with my homies and stuff and we like wrote songs together and stuff. I just feel like, you know, that process of having having just camaraderie and you know making songs together that I like that more so than than making music by myself all alone and shit. <laughs> it's fun because you get up and you jump when you when you do something that's great. We call it we get a watch. We call it a watch. It's when you get goosebumps on you when you hear that shit. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And then that hits, and when you got a group of people, and we all hit it at the same time, and you start jumping up and down like little kids. The best feeling in the world. <laughs> best feeling in the world. And that's the high. That's the high we chase as musicians, you know. Yes, and when those happen, they're just cherish them because they're fucking amazing. Yeah, love it. I love that. That's my favorite. So that's it. That's just been my process. Now I just been like. I would just like try to like record as much as I can. Like, cause you know, like I say, sometimes I get like a writer's block and I feel like everything I'm doing is whack. And then I get a streak where I just feel like I'm on fire, you know? And then once I'm on fire, I try to get out as much as I can. I've always been a firm believer that creativity flows in seasons. And so you'll have your seasons where you're not going to write shit. It's all going to suck. And then you die yourself. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. here comes that creativity creeping back and then boom, you're inspired and you write the best shit for like two or three months and then it's gone again. It's nice being able to have a studio all the time now. That's one thing we all got. You have a studio in your fucking bedroom now. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Back in the day, you couldn't, you had to pay all this money and go to big, huge, fancy studios. And it's a gift and a curse, too, because I feel like it makes me lazier, too, sometimes. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'll finish it tomorrow. <laughs> I get up in the morning and do it. Where before I'm in the studio, I know I only got this certain amount of time and stitch paper. So I'm like, oh, I got the pressure on me. So I'm just getting, you know, getting everything out. I'm going to get it done. Yeah. And working. It's work now because you had, you know, you had to work. I'll be here in my drawers, sitting here <laughs> recording ad libs and shit, you know? <laughs> like I'll do the airlift tomorrow, man. You know, it's good. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. But I, and it is, but and another thing with that too, I, I can say is give it's because it is a pro with that I, I've learned because it has been time where if I would have been in the studio, I would have did that song, I would have finished it. And then sometimes with me taking a few days of just recording the vocals, I'll I'll do different shit than I would. If I might change a line here, I might because I've now I spent more time with it. And then I will probably get better vocal takes because I know the actual lyrics better, you know? Yeah. So it's like I said, it's a gift and a curse. I just like to get my ideas, but like I say, just for getting your ideas out real fast, because once it comes to you, come to you, you know, if you let it linger, you're gonna forget it. Like that's my fucking that the worst shit right now. Cause like me now more so I'm um, you know, getting more and more into the comedy and stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. like doing this like podcast and stuff. So, you know, same thing where I would do lyrics, but now, you know, I mean it's kind of easier for me to like write punchlines and stuff and come up with stuff, but it ain't like that for like comedy. So now like, every time I'm think of a joke or something funny to me, you know, I gotta get up and write it. So I like last night I'm in the bed, it's like three o'clock in the morning. Like I woke up, you know, when take a piss, came back, I'm laying in the bed and some funny shit coming right here. Like, fuck. I gotta get up yeah. and write this shit. Voice notes, bro. Voice notes. That's what yeah. I do. Yeah, <laughs> grab my phone and I hum this shit right there or something and it's there forever. Mm-hmm. I love it. 
I feel like for me, like the golden time is the shower. You're like, fuck, do I get out all soaked and wet right now? Shower, pissing, yeah. That's, Just yeah. to write this one line. like, But then you tell yourself, like, I'm going to remember it. I'm going to remember it. I'm going to remember it. And I try to give myself like a tagline or something that helped me remember it. And forget all the shit. You forget it all. I smoke one joint. Everything's gone. I love the whole process. So you guys are in Europe. Yes, I'm in. Uh, right now I'm in. What the fuck am I? I'm in Scandinavia. Half the time, I don't know where the hell I'm at. How is traveling? Because I haven't been overseas since since COVID. I'm in Oslo. I'm in Oslo, Norway. Oh, yeah, Oslo. I love Oslo. So um, it's been a bitch traveling with COVID. I mean, I don't, it's horrible. I was scared shitless. I'm, I just got over COVID for the second time. Damn. Yeah, I had it twice too. And it, it just, the, the first time was worse than the second time, but it, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemies. Oh, you had it too. I mean, I wasn't the same for. Uh, let me see, in August will be a year from my first infection. And then I was asymptomatic the second time. So I didn't have nothing. Okay. But it's cool. It's just like, for me, it's like when you catch it the second time, you're like, oh, cool. I'm going to be cool for another six months. I don't have to worry about this shit again. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's, it's scary. You don't want to, you don't want to get sick, but it's out there and you just got to deal with it. For me, it was hard just trying to get my life back. I was always wearing my mask and always scared that I'm going to catch this. And it was like really important impacting my life i wasn't going anywhere doing anything and my girls are come on we got to go do some stuff let's go walk around and see some stuff and finally get out of my shell and now that after i had it the second time i just ditched the mask and i'm like, <laughs> I'm like fuck it. if i get it i get it I, I live in texas now so it's almost like it don't exist down here they don't give a fuck they, they get mad at you if you're wearing a mask down here in texas well dude i'm in oslo right now not one person's wearing a mask yeah Nobody is anymore. They're just like, it's done here. There's not even, even if you get it here, there's no quarantine or nothing. You're just like, oh, you got a cold. Okay. Go to your house. Don't fucking go around. People. He's just looking at it like the flu now. Like, fuck it. Yeah, it's the flu. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad shows are back open, though, because I can't wait to get back out. Oh, dude. I never thought I would miss playing music for people. It's the fucking weirdest concept to me now. It's it, it's my entire life, and it really fucked me up. Mm-hmm. I, I was very depressed for a long time about that because that's how my that's, that's my therapy man when i get on that stage and do what i do it's me letting out all those things inside that fuck with me right so mm-hmm. i do that on a nightly basis all the time and that it just is my therapy so that gets taken from you and yeah i was in a dark spot thank god that we had the idea to like okay man let's just all get together and let's write a record and that was my light at the end of the covid tunnel and we did it and it was amazing yeah i mean that's all i could do was just work on music it was, this was scary times but you know it spawned a lot of great art and that's awesome yeah definitely and a lot of rushed art too probably Motherfuckers <laughs> was like, yeah hold up i gotta make some shit i even feel like even with the shows i feel like now it's got to be like everybody's going to be going out at the same time it's going to be pretty right. much hard to fucking get people to i will i know for me to get people to fucking come to shows now at this point yeah, because there's so much out there. Mm-hmm. Because people haven't been doing shows for so long, you know. Now shit's back open. Everybody gonna be you're gonna be touring with fucking six different motherfuckers now. Where before it used to be a little more spaced out. Now everybody albums coming out the same time. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> I just fucking toured if it ends in like 10 days. I go home for a month and then I'm gonna do another summer tour with Evanescence, and then I'm done for a minute. I'm yeah. going to the studio and just make some music, just to make music. Oh yeah, man. I love to get in with your ass one day, man. Anytime, dude. Hell yeah, man. I pull up. I pull up. I my studio was Buck Owens's from Hee Haw. Remember Buck Owens? Uh-uh. Uh uh. So there was a variety show about country variety show in the 70s, 60s and 70s, and the end of the 80s. Hee Haw, that shit. Hee Haw, yeah. 
<laughs> so the guy, the guy with the red, white, and blue guitar, his name was Buck Owens. And that was a staple of me growing up. My grandparents had that shit on 24-7. We watched that shit. And I grew up watching him. And actually, he was friends with my family. He was at my grandfather's uh, funeral. And my dad had the studio and rented it from Buck for 20-something years. And then I moved home. And then now I have it. And it's just, it's a very special place. It's just got a cool vibe. It's just got a vibe. And it's in the craziest hood in Bakersfield called Oil Bill. <laughs> Oh it's, shit! It's in the hood. Yes, man. It's, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's everybody. Just, you'll see tweakers ride around on hover rounds with flashlights duct taped to their heads and shit. It's oh, the crazy shit. shit. It's just the weirdest assortment of just all all types of people. I love it there, though. Mm-hmm. There's the sweetest people. There's sweet people there, but there's also the people that you know are crazy and all that. But it's just very inspiring for me. I love that place. Are you still in Bakersfield? Yes, sir. Damn, never left. No, I left. I went to L.A. and was there in L.A. for 20 years. I just couldn't stand it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't take it anymore. I just wanted to go back to my... Well, yeah. I don't think no one can take L.A. anymore at this point. It's it's going to be a parking lot pretty soon. Just like... It's dangerous right now. The traffic's horrible. All the homeless people. And God bless them. I wish they'd just figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I was just in L.A. not too long ago. And it looked way worse than it was before. Right? It's just deteriorating at a fast rate. It's very different. It's not the LA I lived in, but it, I mean, whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. It's good. Was so there like any um like cool music like like you fucking with right now? Like any new shit? Any new shit? Um, Are you listening to old shit? That's what I've been doing. I've been fucking listening to fucking old jazz records and shit. You know what I mean? To be honest, all I listen to, I listen to Cab Calloway. Oh shit! And Andrew Sisters. Like 20s, 30s, and early 40s, like wartime 40s. That's all I've been listening to for a long time. Man, that's crazy. I love it because it was done all live on a couple mics on a two track. I love the way those albums are recorded. Me too. I love it. Like just the way it sounds, like the crackle and all that shit, man. That shit gets me, man. Yeah, you hear all that. It just gives me this vibe. I just put it onto my dressing room before we do a show. I'll bust that. Another one of my go-tos to get me pumping is Whenever I'm Away From You by Olivia Newton-John and Fred Astaire <laughs> from that movie Xanadu. I like big band shit. I like listening to, oh, old blues, 30s and 40s. And like it's, It would sound like it was recorded in a, I don't know, I don't know with a tin can and a, <laughs> a tin can microphone on a phonograph. Or I don't know. It's just got this crazy lo-fi cool vibe, though. Yeah, definitely. I've been listening to fucking drum and bass mixtapes from the 90s. That's what I've been mostly. The drum and bass, that, that shit's amazing. Getting into. But for me, I think it's everything's been done. So I like to go back to the classics and just. Oh, yeah. That's what is appealing to me. That's totally. Like nothing new under the sun. That whole that whole logic. Like even when you think you created some new shit, somebody already did that shit in music, you know? I love those old things because it is, it's just, it seems like now today everything's been done and everybody's running out of ideas. Mm-hmm. So. For me, just to relax and to listen to something that's not work, it's more of the older shit. Yeah. But is that for, like, inspiration or is it just literally just something you enjoy? Or do you, you know, you hear that shit and, you you know, it helps you come up with shit, too? Some music that I like that I don't get nothing out of but enjoyment, but then there's some music that I listen to that I'm just, like, I can't even really enjoy it like that because I'm studying it too much. And I'm, like, you know, trying to break down what they did and, like, and it's inspiring right. me to, you know, try to make some ill shit. Yeah, I think it's for both. I mean, all the 40s music, it's all those complex harmonies like the Andrew Sisters did and all that with the big band stuff. I think that leaks into me doing that, all these big, huge vocal beds and stuff that I've been doing. I mean, I can't help it. I think subconsciously it goes, you just start tearing that shit apart and being inspired and want to do it your way. Not exactly rip them off, but I'm going to do it the way I would do it. Yeah, exactly. 
I think it happens for me subconsciously too, where if I if I'm listening to something for, for long enough, I'm I'm going to eventually take something from it without me even realizing it. You know, but yep. I love I always looked at it kind of like skateboarding though. You know, like like a motherfucker invented a trick, but every everybody that do the trick is gonna look different because it's you doing the trick. You know what I'm saying? So I always kind of look at it like that. Like so if I see somebody doing something, even when I, you know, kind of like get inspired by it and, and put my own take on it, it's just still gonna be so different because it's me doing it. You know, agree. But that's where hip hop is at. Coming up, it was always about being original, and you know, they was always talking about the biters, and you know. But now in oh, hip hop, yeah. it's like that rule has went out the window. It's like you're stupid if you don't bite. Almost like if you don't sound what the way you're supposed to sound right now, then ain't nobody trying to listen. You know. So the way I got music back in the day was we had record pools, so I get all these twelve inches when I was spinning, and that's when I first time I heard Nucleus or mm-hmm. <laughs> like. That's where you the would get like all the white labels and stuff, and like the um, yeah, the white only. Label. You know, my dad used yeah. to be in the record pool, and that's how I got like the early Wu Tang stuff. You know, yeah, those are all. The uh, first time I heard NWA was in the white label record pool. Until or even they, they would have like snippet tapes, like just something mm-hmm. like that. Just sounds so fucking far fetched. A snippet tape, and we would listen to these snippet tapes like crazy. Just thirty seconds of each song. You know, that was really cool back then. It gave it so much, it made it mysterious and yes. <laughs> you couldn't wait. There was an instant gratification. You had to you wait. listen to the snippets of the album and come out the next month. You're like, fuck, you couldn't yeah. wait. Imagining what wait. the rest sounds like. <laughs> Kids now will never know that feeling. Yeah, because they get all their music from TikTok now. <laughs> instant gratification, like you said, is not even no like. And then most of the time they like leak it before it even come out. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I mean, I, I don't really hate on it too much because I wish I, I I think the most thing that I hate about it is I wish I was a part of this time in some sense because it's so fucking cool that you could be able to fucking just make music, upload it, and let the people decide. Like before you had to fuck, I had to fucking catch Greyhound buses to New York and fucking get turned down by record labels, <laughs> suffer all this yep. rejection. You know, now you could just suffer rejection from a tweet, you know what I'm saying? From a tweet or, yep. you know, a comment. A tweet I used to have to yep. see it face to face. Like, no, get told no. Nah, but no. Yeah, you know, so they only see the yes in some sense, I guess, you know? The distribution is definitely different and it's instant and it goes out to the whole world and everybody can access it. So, yeah, and it's putting the music back in the artist's hands, too. Just the fact a kid from North Dakota could upload a song and it goes viral on TikTok and, you know, and they can make all this money just off social media yeah. without a record. They don't get a tour anymore. Not a record label, because they'll take you know, it. They eventually come and call a bluff, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, it's just the point sure. that you got it. Like, before, back in the day, you heard independent, like, you that meant, like, motherfuckers selling out the trunk of their cars and you know, traveling state to state, dropping the albums off and stuff like that. Or like you say, going through record pools and stuff like that. Record pools. There's something so cool about that, though. Yeah, it was. It makes me feel like my, my teenage years getting that shit that nobody had. That was because like you, everything. And then you were getting put up on artists that you didn't even know what they looked like or nothing. Like it no, could just be a, 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 a song and you'd be like, this shit is dope, though. But you didn't even know nothing, where they came from. Nothing. You had to get that shit That alone was, you know, just finding the new information more and more. I used to love reading credits. Just reading yes, they thank yous. Like, I wonder who is this, you know? Just going through a person's thank yous. Yep. Oh, God. Oh, that's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The kids now, they don't give a fuck. That was our... That's a person that, that definitely our- used to read magazines and shit, you know? Oh, I missed all that. So fun. Yes, I used to walk to... I used to walk, like, two miles to a blockbuster video just to buy Source magazines. Because the, the Source, that's the only way you knew what album was going to come out. What app, You know, used to get reviews and stuff. If you didn't go get a Source magazine that month, you didn't know what was going on in, in the hip-hop world at the time. And that was the only way you would know what was going on. 
And so I would be like every month, like the first of the month when I knew the source magazines came out, I would beg my mom for like three bucks. That was three dollars. Like, give me, please have three bucks. Walk two miles and read it all the way back. I've been read the whole magazine by the time I get back home. Oh, God, that's so But sad, just doing man. that, it felt so cool, you know? It does. I'm sorry, I'm getting all old and nostalgic, but that was really something. <laughs> Showing my age. <laughs> Mine too. But that was just how we we enjoyed music. It was no, that's what we were saying. It, gave every artist a mystique in some sense because you just it, couldn't rapidly get information on them like that. Like it's nope. it's hard. It's hard for a for a for an artist right now with internet and social media to like have a mystique about themselves without being an asshole. <laughs> I agree. Like everybody knows every single thing about you mm-hmm. in any given second. Shit. I paint my nails a different color one day and then it's in the internet the next. It's like you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. It's it's so weird. I'm just excited to see what the future could bring as far as like technology when it comes to making music, you know, because they like I say, they're making so much cool shit. Like before I um before I was doing this, I was just watching M- um Akai just put out a new keyboard. It's pretty much a, a MPC with a keyboard or something that used to be so hard for us to be able to sync our keyboards and shit to the MPC now. And then they'll mm-hmm. give you like controllers and shit like that. But now it's just you actually got 61 keys with an MPC connected to that. Like, what the fuck? Like, you know what I'm saying? Wow. They literally just, you know, dropped the video, you know, explaining it today. And I'm just thinking of all the fucking possibilities you can do with that. That's really cool. It's just mm-hmm. a box of just the tweak sounds. And-, and it's a standalone machine. You don't need software. You can use with software, but it's a standalone. So you pretty much has a you have a keyboard and an MPC. You can just walk anywhere with it, you know, and they already come with over like. 200 instruments already in it. What's that drum machine? It was gray. It was a 909? Yeah, the um, Roland. The Roland, yeah. Mm-hmm. It had like, the, it was the drum buttons, but it was actually a keyboard too. Yeah, okay. those are going for a, a pretty nice buck right now. People people love, people are looking for those right now. I love that. I, I wrote so many songs on that damn thing. <laughs> Corn songs on it. That's dope. <laughs> I mean, it was just like keyboard sounds for guitars and shit like that. But mm-hmm. but that's what you were like, yeah. do demos and shit on? Yeah, do demos that's on. dope as fuck. Because I, I, I kind of do that sometimes. Like, I would make a beat. Because like, I, I I like making beats just for fun, but I know people can make way better beats than me, so I would rather get a way better beat. But it's been a lot of times like I make a beat just to make a song too, and, but then it end up being a song to somebody else's beat and it'd be way. You know what I'm saying? But I got mm-hmm. the idea out, you know, on my own. It's good. It's fun. I used to sit in my bunk with the damn thing. In my bus, we were rolling down the road, a pair of oh. headphones and that, that machine just going at it. Good times. But yeah, man, we definitely should, um, you know, exchange each other context and shit or whatever. Yeah, please. I'll, you know. give you, I'll, get, I'll give you mine and I'll get yours. And mm-hmm. anytime you want to just jam sometime, I'd love to, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I come out to Bakersfield, man. That would be fun. That would be <laughs> fun, man. It's, it's crazy. It's different, but there's a lot I, of cool I'll probably shit. Detroit, man. It ain't no big deal. So yeah, it's a, you could, the oil bill in Detroit probably got a lot of similarities. Bakersfield used to be on cops all the time. That's the only thing. You know what? It was all the time because it's a tough ass town. Homie. It used to be like Bakersfield in the corner. That's where I remember seeing yeah. that name they all the time. Besides you guys, that's where I remember seeing Bakersfield all the time. It's fucking cops. Yeah. So I already know it's fucking crazy. Tweaked out. It's crazy. It really is. <laughs> it's fun. All right, cool. Um, thanks for having this talk with us. It was fun. I love it. Yeah, man. This. Thank you, man. The creative okay. stuff, that side of it, I love. And it was a wonderful conversation, man. Likewise. We keep it going, man. We get each other in phone. Keep keep in touch. All right, cool, man. I love that. Yeah, man. Have a good one, All man. Right. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast. And thanks to Jonathan Davis and Danny Brown for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe via your favorite podcasting app. And while you're already there, go ahead and rate us. 
This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time. 